We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. And we're going to see it's a tremendous lesson for us as a church. Because look what it says here in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 25. It says, And then Samuel died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. You know, I, I don't know, most of you probably know this guy Samuel was a great, great prophet. You know, uh, in case you don't know, that's what this book is named after. First Samuel, we have Second Samuel. And this guy was a tremendous prophet of the Lord. And so for him to die, you know, um, it must have been bittersweet for the people of Israel because he was a great prophet. Samuel passed away. And, and in one sense, here's the problem. You know, he had been now replaced by this terrible, terrible king by the name of Saul. You know, they couldn't have been further apart in their relationships with the Lord. They couldn't have been further apart in their leadership of the land. And so, you know, Samuel at one time had been the judge of Israel. Man, God did such a great work, brought about spiritual revival. They asked for a king. God gave him a king. He had a good look, head and shoulders above the rest. But the problem was he did not have character. So, you know, in, in one sense, uh, you know, it must have been a real hard thing for the nation of Israel. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 2, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And you can just kind of like do that, huh? This guy groan. Oh, man, what a drag, you know? When somebody, I don't care how big, how buff, how good looking he is, but when he doesn't have the character of Jesus Christ, man, I'm telling you this, because God is the one who blesses the land. It's God. And when, you know, we see the wicked in power, it just, ah, man, it makes you groan, right? And so it must have been bittersweet to kind of see the visual of transfer of power from Samuel, now he's gone, to, to Saul, now he's there. And it must have also been bittersweet for the people of Israel, you know, for David as well, because, you know, now we're going to see there's something that happens in this chapter for David. And, you know, think about it. Here he is, if you guys remember the context, he's running away from Saul, so he can't even go to the funeral. You know, and here's Samuel, man, the guy that was the prophet. And we're, and we're going to see, and it's kind of interesting, it might even explain what we read in our text, how right here it says that, that David went down, there in verse 1, David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, you know? And I don't want to read too too much into it. I don't want to over-spiritualize it. But we know that the wilderness of Paran was the same wilderness that the children of Israel wandered through for 38 years. Samuel dies. David goes down. Can't even go to the funeral. You know, this was a crazy time. And for David, you know, he's probably thinking, man, Samuel was the one who anointed me as king. I remember that when I was probably 16 years old. Now, you know, we see Samuel's dead. David's not king yet. Samuel now departs, and David wasn't even able to go to the funeral. And it must have been a really hard time for David. I'm sure the enemy began to mess with him. You know, and, and, I, and I've noticed this, and, and I don't know if you guys have realized this. Do you guys realize we're in a spiritual battle? 
Yes or no? Some of you are like oblivious to it. No, man. <laughs> I can't wait to go to in and out afterwards, man. There is a battle going on. It's a battle for your souls. And the devil is not going to come out like he did last night, man, with his, you know, red suit and, and horns and forks and stuff like that. No, he's going to come out in a crazy way. So we have to be really ready for this. You know, take something like, you know, I don't know what it is, but in this case, it's the death of of Samuel. It's a funeral. I can't go to it. Wait a minute. You know, I thought I was going to be king. Now he's dead. What's going to happen? And you're wondering about your life. You're wondering about your life because it's not happening according to your schedule. And then all of a sudden, boom, you just, you know what? That's it, man. And you're gone. And how many Christians, I think, are discouraged how many Christians are living a life really not of faith but of doubt? How many of us, just like the air is out, we're just so depressed? I think that's kind of what happened to David right now. The enemy's really messing with him, I think. And again, I don't want to read too much into it, but notice what we read as we go through this chapter. Because we read next in verse 2 that there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and it says right here, and, and, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. And so right here we're introduced to a very rich man. He had uh, 3,000 sheep. I mean, if you, had, if you had five sheep, you know, you're doing good, you know, in these days. But, but this guy had 3,000 sheep. It says right here he had 1,000 goats. And so what he does is he travels to Carmel. Have you guys ever been to Carmel? It's really nice there. This is, well, this is a different Carmel, right? But anyways, you know, and there he is, and he's going to share his sheep. And so we're introduced to this very rich man. We're also introduced to this man's wife. This is a couple. His name is Nabal and his wife's name is Abigail. Now we read there, if you'll notice again in verse 3, that she was a woman of good understanding. And that's what the Hebrew literally says, good understanding. You know, when you read other versions, it says she was intelligent and beautiful. Another version says she was sensible and beautiful. Some say she was wise and beautiful. And we're going to see this about Abigail. For you ladies here today, and, and of course us men, I think we can learn from this as well, but especially you ladies, I really encourage you, soak this chapter in from this beautiful lady named Abigail. was a truly amazing woman who loved the Lord. And when we look at our text, I, I just think it's so cool that before the Bible mentions her physical beauty, in every version we see that her good understanding is mentioned first. Her inner beauty, really, in one sense, is always a priority over the physical beauty. And, and that's the way it should be, ladies, in the Lord. You know, and right now we're living in a world, and my heart just goes out to you. I mean, for us guys, it's a lot different. You know, I could just shave my head and, um, you know, just throw on the same T-shirt like every week, and you guys still love me, you know? <laughs> But, but for you ladies, man, the pressure, the pressure from this world to have a certain look, to weigh a certain weight, uh, the pressure that you have, and, and if my heart just goes out to you. So, I, you know, I, I talk to some ladies or you just kind of see it over the years. It takes them so long to get ready. 
in the morning. You know, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, and you know, you wonder, well, you know, you're taking so long to have this certain look on the outside. But the question has to be, what about the look on the inside? And, and we look at Abigail and we see that her good understanding is mentioned before her physical beauty. And I just, I just pray that we would see that that is the priority because when God looks at us, when people really look at us from spiritual eyes, don't you see that that's what they see? And I think in Abigail we have this beautiful woman. Um, she's not, you know, she's not uh, bad looking. So it's not a sin to be pretty. But the thing is, is that in her life, the priority is that that relationship with God that in many ways we're going to see that God uses her to rescue King David when he's about to do something that's really crazy. And, and you know, and we read that, of course, in the Bible over and over again. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, it says, Do not let. And so think about that. Don't let this happen to you. Do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty you see the other beauty it changes huh i mean you know it's it's a crazy thing but this is the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of god you know and I'll be honest with you, you know, I shave my head and some people tell me you shouldn't. Don't, you shouldn't shave your head. And I always tell them, listen, my wife likes it. She's the one that I want to make happy, right, when it comes to my look. And so when it comes to your look in life, though, however your look in life, though, the one that you want to make happy is God. God. And when God sees you, what does he see? You see, and that's what he's saying to the ladies. He says, you know, it's okay to wear some gold and it's okay to put on some makeup. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's okay to do that. It's okay, you know, to, to dress modest and nice and neat and things like that. And, you know, you, every once in a while you buy a new top, stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's not, you know, we're not getting weird or anything. That everybody has to have long straight hair and long dresses and no jewelry. Some churches actually say that. That's not what I'm talking about. But really, I think in Abigail, we see just a beautiful example of a woman who had her priority in a relationship with God. And we're going to see what a tremendous example she is. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 31.10, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? You know, a, a ruby is rare. A virtuous wife is rare. But as you enter into your relationship with the Lord, God can do that work in your life. Proverbs 31, 26 through 30, it talks about this virtuous wife. And it says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is a law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her husband, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And this is what he says. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And that's where we have to be. 
That's who Abigail is. Her name means my father is joy. I like that. A tremendous and godly wife. And, and so, you know, in looking at her, you would figure that she must have had a godly husband, right? I mean, isn't that the way it works? If you're like a godly wife, then that means you must have a godly husband, right? Wrong. It, <laughs> it says right here that she got stuck with this guy named Nabal, and his name literally means fool. <laughs> and what we read in verse 3 is that he was harsh. Notice it says in the end of verse 3, and evil in his doings, even though he was from the household of Caleb. And so he can't blame, blame it on his genes, right? <laughs> but here they are in Carmel, and they're shearing their sheep. And so this would be kind of like, you know how you guys, uh, we have the harvest. You go and you do the grain, you're working hard, and finally the time comes, and, and you now you have a harvest. And it's almost like a time of celebration. Uh, now it's like the harvest, so to speak, for the, the sheep, and they're shearing them. There would be a feast. There would actually be a time of generosity, kind of like you know Christmas in one sense, giving out gifts. So it's this festivity in which we read the next thing. It says in verse 4, And so when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor, check this out, was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. And so we're introduced uh, to the fact that Samuel dies. It probably said David in a tailspin. That can happen sometimes when someone passes away in your life. It just hits you hard. And so then we're introduced to this couple, you know, Nabal and Abigail. He's a fool. She loves the Lord. And so they're there in Carmel sharing their sheep. And so David sends 10 young men and he says, you know, go to them and, and, and let them know that, you know, we, we've been kind of protecting your flock. You know, ever since we have been there, um, we have, uh, you know, watched over them. We ourselves haven't taken anything from them. He asks in a real humble way. And this would be actually something uh, of the culture that would take place. It wasn't rare. It wasn't out of the norm. It, it was really just all hand in hand what would normally happen. Um, David does it in a very meek way. He doesn't do it in a demanding or commanding way. You know, there's no stater brothers in the neighborhood. And so he says, hey, man, uh, can we get some food, you know, for what we've done? Real, real, real humble way that he deals with him. But tragically, this guy Nabal, he lives up to his name. Because we read in verse 9, it says, And so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David. And they waited. <laughs> then Nabal answered David's servants, and he said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shares and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? I don't think so. You're hungry? Too bad. 
You've been protecting us. I don't care. For Nabal, it's just, it's just me. It's, it's, it's my. It's, it's all about, you know, Nabal. Very selfish man. Very much out of tune with the Lord. Nabal turns out to be one of those arrogant fools reacting without thinking. Not bothering to see if this request might be, you know, a legitimate request. Not taking others into consideration what might be the ramification of my decision. Definitely not in tune with the Lord. Because if he did have, and here's the thing, and it always goes back to this, you guys. You can blame it on him or this or that or whatever it is. But it always, always goes back to your personal relationship with God. Because if Nabal had had a, just a, a, a wee relationship with the Lord, then he definitely would not have reacted this way. He would have known this, that David was not just a breakaway servant like the rest of the bunch, that he was, here was the anointed coming king of Israel. David was the beloved of the Lord. But what ends up happening? He doesn't just say no you know, I'm not going to get you any food. He, he does it in a way that just uh, insults David. He does it speedily. He does it greedily. And he just sends him away. And it says right there, you know, they turned on their heels. And so we read in verse 12, David's young men then turned on their heels. They went back and they came and they told him all these words. And then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. And what happens? David's ticked. He's upset, right, to say the least. And he's on his way, and he's going to swing his sword. He's going to fight with all his might. He's going to shed some serious blood. You know, and again, now, you know, we've been learning and David and we see David kind of go up and down a little bit. This is one of his low points. I mean, he had been so patient with Saul. He didn't want to fight Saul. He knew that wasn't right in God's sight. But here, you know, when this goes down, you know, he doesn't do like we read in the previous chapter. He doesn't inquire of the Lord, which again is what we have to do. How many times we just, you know what, that that makes me mad. And, and in one sense, it should. This is not right. We've been, you know, taking care of you. You know, when you, we read later, we're going to see that they were a wall to them and that these, this flock even followed them. And so it's not right. But remember what happened in the, in the city of, of Keilah? It wasn't right what the Philistines were doing. But just because it wasn't right, David didn't just rush into it. He asked the Lord, Lord, should I? Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and for us, you know, I think we go out, we rush into it, we rush into it sometimes in our arrogance. Rather than asking the Lord, you guys, I mean, and we have to just come to this place as Christians, as followers of God, where we really truly have a relationship with Him where He can talk to us and we can ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because, you know, you know, you're seeing this injustice or whatever it is. How are you going to deal with it? The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. It's okay to get angry. And sometimes, man, if you're not angry at whatever injustice it is, then it's not right. But you got to get angry and don't sin. 
You know, I've learned this, and I probably share this every time I'm here, man, but the Bible says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many times do you get mad? How many times do you fly off the handle? You know, you get angry at your kids. You get angry at your husband. You get angry at your spouse. You get angry with the people on the freeway, whatever it is, right? We're angry at this. We're angry with that. But, you know, the wrath of man, the wrath of man, the wrath of man has never produced anything good. The wrath of God has. And there's a big difference. But for us here, we see David, he doesn't ask the Lord. He just rushes into it. And can you guys picture the scene? Get your swords on. Can you just picture that, man? We're going to go. We're going to kill people. We're going to kill people. You know, and, and we know, according to the scriptures, that, you know, the sword is symbolic of God's word. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me is that when Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 19, he comes back with a sword in his mouth. And, you know, um, of course, we're speaking of a literal sword here, but... I can't help but also think of those words that we say sometimes. Those words that we say that cut. Those words that we say that sometimes kill. And so we have to be so careful before we go out and just, you know, do all these things. You know, initially, again, one might think that David's actions are justified, but they're not because he's supposed to be a follower of God. You know, in one sense, here's the principle. Um, Nabal was returning evil for good. You know, David's men, David, they had done good. Nabal says, I'm going to return evil, man. I'm going to insult you. Now, what David does now is he returns evil for evil. Uh, you do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. Right? Isn't that the mentality of the world? I don't get mad, I get even, right? You guys say that all the time. I'm just joking. <laughs> You know, and you do me good, I'll do you good, man. You buy me cookies, I'll buy you cookies, whatever it is, man. You buy me dinner, I'll, and we're just like that. We're just like that. We are so like that. But the Lord and his people are beyond that. They're, they're, they're better than that, man. And that's where Abigail comes in. You see, that's not the, to be the mode of our operation in God's kingdom. Proverbs seventeen thirteen says, Whoever rewards evil for good, Evil would not depart from his house. And so that's a heavy warning. But Jesus also said in Matthew 5, in verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, that you might be like God. And so, you know, I'm not saying that David could, uh, you know, go, goes over his house and say, hey, you know what, let's play, you know, skip together or whatever, hopscotch, basketball. I'm not saying that. But for us to go over and, you know, I'm going to kill you, definitely not right. So what ends up happening? Well, thank God for Abigail, the only one thinking sensibly at this time. Because we read in verse 14, it says, Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent his messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as, notice, we accompanied them. 
When we were in the fields, you know, they were a wall to us, both by night and day. All the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do for harm is determined against our master and against his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Now, scoundrel, that sounds like a nice word, huh? I mean, kind of nice. It, it means son of the devil. You know, that's who he was, right? And so, you know, one thing that's interesting, just as a quick side note here, um, the other day someone came up to me and they told me about... Um, how they discovered that 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 someone was in, in sexual sin, and so um, this had been going on, and it, it was a, it's just a, a really heartbreaking situation. It was this a heartbreaking situation? But they've been going on for a long time, and so you know that friend says, "Hey, don't tell that friend," and that friend says, "Well, you know," and so all these people knew about it, except for like the parents, you know. And, uh, you know, the people that, that, that can make a difference. Even people who said they were Christians. And so, you know, the, the, the finally the one person came up to me and they said, you know, do you think it's okay that I, that I say something? And I said, oh, yes, absolutely. You know, in the world, you know, they tell you, hey, you know, don't, don't share my secrets, don't be a snitch or whatever like that, you know. And they'll make fun of you. They'll call you a tattletale. I don't know if that's a really bad word nowadays or not. I don't think it is. But, but for us, you know, um, man, the Bible, I went straight to the book of Ephesians. It says expose them. Expose these unfruitful works of darkness. You know, because a lot of times people think that they're noble in not saying anything. And here's this guy, and he says, you know, this is what happened. David's men came in, and, and he sees the way that Nabal just, you know, totally mistreated them. And he probably could have thought to himself, well, I won't say anything, you know, because it's none of my business, or, you know, I don't want to be, you know, a snitch. But, you know, thank God he did, huh? He came to Abigail, and he says, you know what, i got to tell you what happened. Thank God he did. And thank God that some people do with the right heart. We got to be that way. And so what ends up happening, we read in verse 18, and then Abigail made haste, and she took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me, see I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Notice again in verse 18, it says that, that Abigail made haste. She made haste. And you're like, wait a minute, Manny, that doesn't make any sense because I've heard that haste makes waste, right? <laughs> Not always. <laughs> Man, there are those times, and I'll tell you what, we are living in those times where we can no longer delay. You know, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord. I don't know what's going on, but I do know this, that judgment's coming. And I'm telling you this, man, that if you're, if you're kicking it, if you're just cruising through your Christianity, if you're just going to wait until tomorrow to get your life right or to take action or to do whatever it is that you need to do to save your household or to save whoever it is that you're responsible for, then you are waiting way too long. 
We have a responsibility. Some of you young people, older people, it doesn't matter. Here we see Abigail, man, she just, she, she just made haste and, and she just started going to work. You know, and, and maybe, you know, she could have thought, well, I won't make a difference. I'm not, you know, the head of the household. I'm just, a, a, you know, his wife. I'm just a woman. What difference can I make? But I think it's probably a good illustration and you need to know, it doesn't matter who you are, that when you make haste and you get your relationship right with the Lord and you ask God, like James 1 and 5 says, for wisdom, Lord, what can I possibly do to make a difference? Then God will use your life. God will use your life to change the course of history. We know that David would be the future king. You can make a difference in the life of a future king, future president, future whoever it is that's going to shake the world. And I'm reminded of that scripture in Hebrews 11:7. 7. It says, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And especially for us as husbands, us as heads of the home, you moms, how we need to move with godly fear. I don't know about you, but my, here's my problem a lot of times. I say I'll do it tomorrow, but then what ends up happening? happening <laughs> tomorrow never comes, huh? You have a passion right now. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, you know, and you're so excited. But next thing you know, you go and you have a gallon of ice cream and it's gone, right? You know, you've washed all your sorrows away, right? And, and all I know is that we have to do this now. Abigail, man, amazing woman. Think about this, 200 loaves of bread. Doesn't that sound good right now? <laughs> Two skins of wine, five sheep, five seeds of roasted grain, 100 clusters of grapes, and here's the best part, 200 cakes, man, of figs. I, I think they're fig newtons. That's what I'm thinking, man. <laughs> Right, And she knew, she knew what we all know, and that is what? That the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? <laughs> and so we see right here now, actually, it was much deeper than that. This went way beyond the physical things unto the spiritual things. And so we read in verse 20, So it was that she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men, man, coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also, to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now when you get a chance to go through what David said, go through what um, Nabal said, and notice how often they said, I, me, my, David. <laughs> you know, may God do so, and more also to the enemies of who? David. You're always going to get in problems when you become a selfish person. David's thinking about himself, Nabal's thinking about himself, and he just says, man, I can't believe I protected him. But wait a minute, why do you do what you do? Why do you do good? Do you do good so you can get a pat on the back? Do you do good so that you can get rewarded by men? Is that why you do good? Because if that's why you do good, one day you're going to find yourself not doing good anymore because man will not always do that for you. You know, when I teach a study, when you do whatever it is that you do, you got to do it as unto the Lord. 
and know that you might not be rewarded on this side of time, but if you do it for him and unto his glory, then you'll be rewarded. It's not in vain when you do it as unto the Lord. See, that's why David should have been what he was doing, but right now, he's this way out there. He even invokes the name of God in his disobedience, you know? It's funny how we can do or set out to do the most foolish things, straight out, wicked and wrong, and somehow, some way, find a way to justify it as if we're doing something spiritual. And so we read in verse 23 that when Abigail saw David, she hastened to dismount from the donkey. She fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. And so she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord. On me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and, and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. And evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And in the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. And I can't believe it's already 827 here, but, you know, when I, when I read this right here, I just think, wow, what... Where did she get such beautiful wisdom? Where did she get this? I mean, I mean, here's, you know, this lady Abigail, you know, and, and we've been studying the life of David, and, and David is a, a tremendous guy. But I, I tell you what, man, David's got nothing on this gal. Nothing. Because Abigail, man, she really speaks some sense into his life. She does it in such a humble way, in such a meek way, in such a powerful way, which is a really cool thing to take into consideration. You know, we're to speak the truth in love. The Bible says a gentle word, it breaks a bone. She knows that, so she comes. And, and think about that. If you can visualize her there, just she sees David, boom, she gets off her you know, donkey. She just prostrates herself, and she begins to share with him. She brings the Lord into it. And that's the most important part of this whole thing. It's all, it's all about the Lord. It's all about the Lord and the Lord, how he had plans for David, you know. And, it, you know, 
I, I don't know how it always works in your life. Uh, you know, I don't know if you have someone like Abigail to speak to you, to give you those words of wisdom and to tell you, you know, you don't want to do this. Don't forget the plan that God has for your life. You know, one day there you are and you're, you know, you know, king and you have this regret. You know, when was the last time you got angry? You just got angry and you didn't regret it. Never. We always regret it, right? Here we see that, you know, the Lord just uses Abigail to hold David back, to communicate to him, yes, the Lord is still going to lift you up. And the thing that I think is cool is she says right there, you fight the battles of the Lord. You know, that's the thing about you, David, is you fight the battles of the Lord. Is this a battle of the Lord? You know, and that's where I think, you know, for us in so many ways, the, the you know, the practical application can really come to heart. You know, we're to fight the good fight, yes. But, you know, I think a lot of the fights that we do fight are not always the battle of the Lord. And so, you know, David had not asked. He just went on impulse, reaction, and Abigail steps in. And, the, and Abigail just says, you know what, let the Lord take care of your enemies. That's what you've done up to this point. Why would you change that now? And, and we're going to see that that ends up being, I think, one of the lessons of this chapter. You know, because when we when we try to take matters into our own hands, you know, and I know for me, you know, in, in life, in the family, in the ministry, have you guys ever heard that saying, you know, grab the bull by the horns? You know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, right? What are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? You can't change yourself. You can't even change yourself. How, how do you think you're going to change your wife? or your kids, or, or whatever it is, whatever sphere of influence. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have a say in this whole thing. Of course, we have to respond by living a life of obedience, by taking heed to the rebukes of life, by being willing to be corrected by, you know, a woman or whoever it is that you think, you know, typically you, you wouldn't receive instruction from them, but when it's true, we've got to humble ourselves. But even then, you know, one thing I've realized is that, you know, only the Lord, only the Lord can do it. And so David, man, in, in this whole thing, it's so cool to see the way that, you know, just Abigail steps in and she intervenes and she, she saves the day. Read in verse 32 that David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord and God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hastened and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. And so David received from her hand what she brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. And so Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. 
And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. <laughs> and therefore she said nothing, little or much, until the morning light. And so it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him. And he became like a stone. And then it came about after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And, and it's not that, you know, your enemies are going to die. Okay, don't get excited, all right? <laughs> You're like, just kill him, Lord. I won't do anything. <laughs> just kill him, right? No, no. It's just that, you know, when we try to do it, when we try to do it in the flesh, then we're not going to get the results. When we leave it to the Lord, in this case, it was an offense that, you know, it was, a, it was what we would call, uh, what's that word? That word that I can't think of right now, what's that word? <laughs> well, it's uh, a capital offense, so to speak. When, you know, when you're supposed to die, you know, you let the Lord do it. Why? Because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says this, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so the next time someone does you wrong, they do you wrong, and you're like, you know what? Man, I ain't going to let them get away with that, you know? And you get all like, I'm going to even this out, and you whatever it is that you do wrong, remember, you just took away what God was going to do. But when somebody slaps you on, on one cheek and they insult you and they treat you like dirt and they just, you know, they're just, there's some mean people. There are some mean people, even in the church, you know, even in our own family sometimes. You know, the, you know, the next time that happens, you know what? Give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, you deal with it. Not that God will kill them, okay? Not, not that. <laughs> but that God will do what he wants to do. And I'm telling you this right now, that what God wants to do is a lot better than what you'll do. But the thing is, is that it's hard to hold back, huh? I mean, you're, you've got your momentum, man. There you are, you and your 400 soldiers, and you've already, you're set in motion. And, you know, and for someone to come and to stop you in the middle of that, you know, there you are, you've got your flood of emotions and your anger and all that, you know, and to stop in the middle of that, it's not easy. But I think when we humble ourselves, it can happen, and God will do a great work. We read in verse 39, So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. See, he knew now, yeah, that was evil, what I was going to do. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. And then notice what she does. She arose, she bowed her face to the earth, and she said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of of the servants of my Lord. Isn't that cool, ladies? Yeah, I'm just joking. It's for all of us, okay? <laughs> Washing feet. And so Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. 
David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. And so we see now David's family being formed. God just sharing the stories that he wants to share with us, I think, because there's lessons that he wants to tell us. Last night when we were reading the Bible uh, as a family, we're, we're in the book of Proverbs together, and um, uh, I forgot what chapter we went through last night, but it was one of those Proverbs that just talking all about the fool. You guys, read your Proverbs, man. It talks a lot about the fool. What a fool, and just how to react to them, how to deal with them. And I told my son, and he knows because I've heard this a million times, I've told him a million times, I said, you got two choices in life, son. You can live the life of a fool, right? You can live that fool life, F-O-O-L, if you want to. Or you can live a full life, F-U-L-L. And that's the choice that we have. Which one will it be? It's up to us. Abigail, in one sense, to me, and, and I know, you know, there's so much more here, but to me, in one sense, she's a picture of Jesus. And how the Lord Jesus Christ has come in and, and how he has been our peacemaker. How he intervenes, how he saves us, how he sets us on the right path. You know, and, and that's the way it is, you know, for us today. I pray that you would let the Lord Jesus lead your life, you know, and then follow his example, you guys. Don't get angry anymore. Don't freak out anymore, okay? Count to ten. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things I've learned basically is just you got to walk in the Spirit. You got to spend time with the Lord, reading and reading and praying and being ready. Have your armor on because the devil's going to come after us. And so it's not a matter of when, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And so we have to be ready. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, uh, like I was sharing earlier, um, not just plain church, not superficial not in your brain, but in your heart, then I pray that today, today you would just, man, give your life to the Lord. And for many Christians here today, I think the Lord is calling us to that place of rededication, absolute surrender. You know, um, like Abigail, man, uh, what an awesome example she is, huh? And so let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Lord, that teaches us things that I know, Lord, are so relevant. You know, not just girls, but guys. They can really get caught up. We can really get caught up in the outside of things, even the outside of holy things. But Lord, help us to be consumed. Lord, help us to be caught up with the inside. Primarily, Lord, knowing that when the inside is right, you're going to take care of the witness and, and everything else, Lord. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would do a work in every heart here, Lord. Bless your beautiful people. Encourage them today, Lord, just to take your word and just to apply it to their lives. We love you. We thank you so much, Lord. May you do a great and tremendous work as we go home by your Holy Spirit, Lord maybe even helping us to reread and meditate and pray and get on our knees and gather the family around and just say to our families tonight as we go home, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Help us, 
Lord, to have that heart. Touch every hurting heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.